Today, I want to talk about the hellscape that is technical diagramming, right? Everybody's nodding their heads right now, uh-huh. And there is a potential solution that I want to share. There was one name that several people brought up. I did some digging, and it's kind of nuts how much this program Miro has for developers. I have to share this. It could potentially be a game changer for you. So my favorite part about Miro is that half the work is already done. Like right now, typically we spend hours starting diagrams from scratch, right? Gathering information, you get buy-in from every team. Uh, you know, following up, that's a lot of work to do. But Miro has a full set of integrations with the tools you're probably already using. And they also offer open APIs and SDKs for custom solutions for all those niche diagramming use cases we have to do, right? So the end result is the same, but it doesn't take forever. It's a massive, massive time saver. I'm transforming basic flowcharts and network architectures, and it all lives in one place. So are you using Miro? Have you used it? I want to hear. On your Monday episode of Locked on Raptors, the Toronto Raptors fall in very discouraging fashion to the LA Lakers to close their road trip 1-4. and four. We'll dig into why the Raptors are running out of time despite some positive signs from the starting lineup and more. We'll get to all that on today's episode of Locked on Raptors. Thanks for hanging. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked on Raptors, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1358 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, March the 13th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can also follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the show for free on your favorite podcast apps. And of course, we are on YouTube. Please go hit the big red subscribe button. We are a handful of subscribers. I think four subscribers away from 3,000, please go and hit the big red subscribe button if you have not yet. I much appreciate it so, 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 so much. And uh, you're the very, very best for, for, for joining the Locked On Raptors YouTube family and supporting us to this point. If you haven't yet, uh, please jump on in and I will also appreciate you until the end of time. All right. On today's show, we are going to dig into the Toronto Raptors loss to the LA Lakers 122 to 112. On Friday night, a uh, really disappointing loss that started off wonderfully. There were two tremendous Toronto Raptors performances and a whole lot of stinkers as well mixed in, which leads to a very crippling loss. 32 and 36 now the Raptors sit. They are now on the precipice of potentially falling out of the plane. We will dig into OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes' big games. We will dig into the limited time than runway the Raptors have to figure things out here and the very difficult questions that might arise if they can't figure things out here and of course we got the good the bad and the hmm, all that coming up later on in the show but first today's episode is brought to you by prize picks first time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code locked on that's prizepicks.com promo code locked on all right let's get into it to the big takeaway from the game against the Lakers on Friday to start things off here. And it really is just that the Raptors are running out of time to figure out whatever this is. And look, this is the risk that the Raptors front office ran making a trade, sending a first round pick out the door, 
obviously next season, 2024, they, 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 they set themselves up for this potential conundrum if things couldn't coalesce in short order. It leaves them with potentially more questions to answer than they had going into the trade deadline had they just done nothing. And that is maybe not a place you want to be putting extra decision-making heft and weight onto the things you got to do this offseason. But that's just the reality, right? Every single loss, every ugly performance within each loss by an individual player, every little thing, it eats away at the time they have left. They have 14 games now left to work with. That's just not a lot of time to sort out the offensive issues this team has had, it was defense in the late going against the Lakers on Friday, 37 fourth quarter points, just can't have that happen. Um, and it's just, they're running out of runway here to answer the questions that the front office wanted to see answered when they made the Yakupertal trade. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they wanted the Yakupertal trade to come in and good or bad, they were going to live with the results and make their decisions going forward based on that. But obviously, if you gave them truth serum, I'm I'm assuming they would say, hey, we're going to trade for Jakob Pertl. He's going to fix the biggest problem we've had all season long in terms of just like the lack of personnel on the roster at that center position. He's going to fix it. And in large part, he has fixed a lot of things. And that's great. But it, it's, it's maybe not fixed things as seamlessly as you'd hope. It's not fixed things in a way that has answered all of the questions the front office might have had. I think, again, if you had asked them, hey, what is your hope here? Their hope is Yakupertl comes in, stabilizes everything, and there's a very clear pathway forward with a very clear set of players going into next season that is unquestionable. It's indebatable. If you have Yakupertl on the team, all of these guys on the, else on the roster work around that. And, and it's complicated because it's just not, it's not been that seamless. It's not been that smooth. We've seen Pascal Siakam really struggle trying to adapt to this new role where he's off the ball more often and more of a wing position. I think he'll get there. Pascal Siakam is very good. He has a capacity for improvement, as we've seen throughout his entire career. I would count Pascal Siakam out from figuring this out and getting back to his usual form at your own peril. He's done it in the past. I'm sure he'll do it again. But again, it's just you're working with this very small window of time. The elephant in the room is the three pending unrestricted free agents you have. And it just makes all of these individual losses feel that much more hefty, feel like there's that much more weight to them. And look, I'm perfectly all right to admit, too, that I'm kind of more inclined to the run-it-back school of thought. That's how I've always kind of been, just as a basketball fan in general, just as a sports fan in general. I like patience. I like letting things build and see how things play out. I don't like prematurely nuking things if you don't have to. I don't like teardowns. I don't like tanking. I, that's not just how I engage with sports. That's not how I perceive things to be the best way to go about building winning rosters. But, you know, it's it's also, at some point here, if the questions can't be answered, if the defense and the offense can't come together on the same page, if the, uh, the fit questions, the lack of spacing and shooting, the offensive issues continue on here, then it's going to force these really tough questions. And, you know, personally, I, I know I can't see this totally clearly. I am pretty emotionally invested in this group of players, and I think that's fine. That's part of the fan experience, right, is like hitching your wagon to guys and going down with the ship like the captain on the Titanic. I'm kind of in that mode with this team, truthfully. And look, maybe I'm insane. Maybe all of the evidence says this team is not good enough. Maybe this team just needs to be reset, torn to the studs, Scotty Barnes is the only thing that, keep, that you keep around and you start to reassemble things from there. 
I think that's a little extreme. I don't think that's actually the answer here. But I also don't begrudge anyone who is starting to look long and hard at the idea of some pretty tough decisions and big moves around guys who have been core members of this team for a very long time, just purely because change for the sake of change might be worth it. I'm not quite there. And I do think there's a lot of reason to still be optimistic about what we've seen here. Again, it's hard when all of the results keep on coming up the wrong end for the Raptors. You go one and four on this road trip. It's like very, very bad. Like there's no sugarcoating it. It's a really rough look, a really tough set of results here. Even if you think they maybe got robbed in the in the Clippers, sorry, in the in the Nuggets game on Monday and they played well enough to win, which they did, they're not picking up these wins. And it's in this compiling. But again, there's there's reason to be optimistic if you squint, or even if you just look at the numbers, the starters are crushing teams right now. They were a plus 17 in 27 minutes on the floor on Friday, and again, the Raptors lost by 10. Overall, 130 minutes, they're the third most used lineup for the Raptors now. The new starters of Fred, OG, Scotty, Pascal, and Jakob Pertl. That lineup whips ass. It's really, really good. 130 minutes, plus 12.2 net rating. Uh, You have an offense at 119.8 offensive rating, which would be the best offense in the NBA. The defense is a 107.6 defensive rating. That would be the best defense in the NBA. It's a really good collection of players that even with the fit issues, even with Pascal Siakam going through it a little bit here, even with until Friday, Scotty Barnes having a really rough stretch offensively, That lineup has worked. That lineup has had positive results. That lineup has kept the Raptors in games, won the Raptors games, and is, I think, unquestionably worth keeping around. If you you look at those five guys on their face, problem is this team still seems to be undone just by like one thing going wrong. You get one bad shooting night from a starter. You get Pascal having an off night. You get Gary Trent Jr. coming off the bench and going 0 of 9 with a minus 27. And that leaves you in a really difficult position to try and overcome. Like, a good team is able to overcome one or two or three things going wrong, I guess, right? And maybe this is just not a good team. Maybe they're just not. I think there can be a good team here. Maybe I'm just continuing to, like, again, go down with the ship, be insane. Insanity is, you know, seeing the same result over and over again and thinking there's going to be a different result. Like, you know, it's... It's a tough thing to figure out, but like unquestionably, that starting lineup works, and, and it's good, and, and there's plenty to grow with there as well as you get a, a more comfortable Pascal Siakam, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point, you know, maybe it, it, it's just not enough, and they're running out of time here. I don't really even know what I'm like. It's just like, what a disappointing game against the Lakers, right? Like, you play really well in that first quarter. It's looking like, man, the ball is moving. This is beautiful basketball. Scotty's on his game. He starts off just with like a, a, a fury in that game. You go through the ups and downs in the middle quarter, in the second quarter, where you, you get kind of run over with the bench out there. We'll talk about the bench a little later on in the good, the bad, and the hmm. I can get you can you can guess which part we're going to talk about the bench in uh, when we get to that final segment. You know, you get a third quarter where the starters absolutely blitz the Lakers coming out of the gate. They look incredible. And then it all falls apart in the fourth quarter. Again, the bench blows it away. The starters come in. They have to overcome a deficit. They can't do it in the short amount of time they have. Maybe you hold that against the starters. I don't know if you can. They play 27 minutes together. You get 27 minutes of one lineup playing together in a single game. I I, I don't know if the Raptors have more than like 10 lineups all season long with more than 27 minutes played. Like, how, I don't know how much more you can play that lineup and hope to win games and, and have it be sustainable. Like, you have to rest guys. You can't play the same guys 48 minutes. 
That's not going to work. But, like, how does the bench go and just piss that away? It's just, it's so maddening. It's been the same story all season long. You get so many good things. And this is the thing. I can't quit this team because when they look good, they look incredible. We saw it for stretches of that Lakers game. We saw it in the Nuggets game. We saw it in the first half of the Clippers game. When this team puts it together, it's really tantalizing. It's really, really good. There are way too many times where they don't put it together. And those little moments of it not being all together on the string are what seems to undo them every single time. And you just can't operate in a world where you have to be 100% perfect every single time. It's just not going to happen. It's the NBA. Sometimes other teams are going to get hot. Sometimes you're going to get cold. You have to account for, you know, uh, not being at your best all the freaking time. And the Raptors right now can't seem to win unless everyone is pulling in the same direction and putting in good or better performances. And that sucks. And I, again, I don't know where you lay the blame. The front office, certainly, you know, that they they are the ones who built this roster, right? Like, it's that's clear. There's certainly some blame there. They, they haven't built a bench. That said, they also banked on internal development from guys like Precious Achua, and Precious Achua is totally stagnated. And I don't know where that is. that Nick Nurse's fault for changing his roll-up? Is that the front office's fault for betting too much on Precious Achua's close to last season? Is that Precious Achua's fault for not putting it together, for you know just kind of stepping back offensively? It, it's probably a little bit of everything, right? And, and that's the difficulty, once again, with this team, is, is figuring out, all right, where does the blame lie? And how do you go about addressing it? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's There's a lot to like, especially you get Scotty Barnes going off for 32-9-7. What an incredible game from Scotty Barnes. And you're left there sitting, well, like if that's the Scotty you get, more often than not, as he becomes a better player, then yeah, there is something here. But at some point too, like you lack the juice, you lack the fire, you like the, the Lakers just completely like outjoy you, outverve you, out just try you in the fourth quarter. Like that's you can't have that either. <laughs> I'm as someone who is predisposed to like believing that this team can turn things around and thinking that there's a good team in here. It, it's been a, a pretty rough weekend, just sort of stewing over that one loss against the Lakers. No other game to kind of cleanse the palate or anything like that. And again, as someone who is pretty emotionally invested in the players on this team, who wants to see these guys succeed here, I think there's a lot, you know, I I get a lot of joy as a fan out of watching sort of narrative redemption arcs. Pascal Siakam is sort of case in point of going into the depths in the bubble, responding and becoming just like a vastly better player than he was going into the bubble. And becoming the player he is now, he's going through struggle again. Part of the joy of watching sports to me is, hey, is he going to pull out of this? Can he pull out of it? Maybe he will. Probably will. That's great. That's a really great story to watch and keep tabs on. Really satisfying as a fan when these narrative arcs kind of come to their happy completion. But maybe there's not a happy ending for this. And if that's the case, it's a bummer. And it's a... Man, (laughs) what a wildly disappointing season up and down it's there's still time they got 14 games left they could go nine and five down the stretch here 10 and four they have more home games than not now they've, they've gotten through that road trip this there's not over there's still plenty of time plenty of information to be gleaned we're not even halfway into this stretch of post Jakob Pertle trade 26 games to sort it all out we're not even halfway through that so there is time but it's not looking great right now, and it's lining up for an offseason where some uncomfortable conversations might be had. 
We'll see. We're going to come back on the other side, get into some positive stuff, because OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes were incredible in the game against the Lakers. We're going to talk about OG next. we got Scotty coming up later on, and we will also get to the good, the rest of the good, the bad, and the hmm. The good will be Scotty. We'll get to the bad and the hmm, mostly bench-related, coming up in a little bit. Before we do that, however, got to tell you, tell you, got to tell you that is about our friends over at Prize Picks, who are making uh, daily fantasy sports fun, accessible, super easy, and a very, very good time. I am not someone who likes the season-long grind of daily fantasy sports, or sorry, of regular fantasy sports anymore. I hate it. I've retired from fantasy football. I sometimes get suckered into a baseball or a basketball league the week before the season starts because some friends of mine need some numbers, and I always forget to keep it going because the the like the daily setting your lineup and keeping your team all season long, the injury wire, all of that. I just can't stand it. It's too much. Daily fantasy sports is where it's at. And prize picks is the best way to play daily fantasy sports because it's simple. It's just you against the projections the way it should be. You're not up against some shadow expert in a basement somewhere that's put together an unbeatable team that you can't even see. It's just you against the projections. You pick two to six players on any entry, and if they go score more or less in the given stat projection that you are, 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 are picking... And prize picks is going to reward you for that. If you get all six of your entries correct on a single, or all six of your picks correct on a single entry, you're going to win up to 25 times your money. That is incredible. And of course, you can do it across a bunch of different sports as well. It's not just the NBA. You got the NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's and women's college basketball, the WNBA, soccer, esports, NASCAR, tennis, all on down the line. Prize picks is there for you. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's super easy, safe and fast withdrawals, currently operational in over 30 states and in Canada as well, in every province except for Ontario at the moment. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. It's a wonderful deal. Go check them out right now at prizepicks.com. Enter the promo code locked on for that instant deposit match up to $100 with Prize Picks. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Digging into the Raptors, 122-112 loss to the Lakers on Friday. A loss that I just kind of sat and stewed with and hated all weekend long. I'm glad I get to talk about it now, even if it's uh, kind of still got me at a bit of a loss. Uh, <laughs> it sucks, man. Like, it, it's... This team is infuriating. Truly, truly infuriating. Not infuriating, though, is watching OG Ananobi play when he's on his best. And man... I don't know if we've ever seen a better OG Ananobi game than we saw on Friday, and what an absolute bummer it is to see the Raptors lose a game in which you get maybe the best OG performance we've ever seen, and one of the best Scotty Barnes performances we've ever seen. Let's talk about OG first. To me, this is just, this is the perfect ecosystem, the perfect way for OG Ananobi to exist on the Raptors. He is just... Really good when he's doing the things he was doing against the Lakers. Obviously, the defense is ridiculous, right? We can start there. He guarded Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis in this game goes four of seven for eight points, <laughs> nine boards, three assists, four blocks as well. Continuing the run of OG Ananobi, just flummoxing opposing stars of all shapes and sizes, be it guards, be it bigs, be it MVP candidates, be it former uh finals mvp contenders in anthony davis like it's did he win the finals mvp i don't care bubble doesn't count um fake title right yeah anyway uh <laughs> sorry lakers fans if you're watching um just 
ridiculous. The numbers from the matchup data. And look, we, we go to the matchup data for the advanced NBA box scores a lot, and there's always noisy. But I also think maybe this is actually a pretty good stat that tells the story of a game pretty darn well. And maybe the noise is uh, kind of irrelevant, honestly. OG Ananobi spends 9 minutes and 41 seconds guarding Anthony Davis in this game total over the course of 51 partial possessions. Lakers scored 52 points on those 51 possessions, so a just barely over one point per possession rate. That's not good uh, for the Lakers. It's great for the Raptors and OG Ananobi. Uh, of course, just the the ability to just stop the entry passes to Anthony Davis from OG, just absurd. Like the number of times he just kind of reached up and scooped a ball that D'Angelo Russell was trying to loft into Anthony Davis. It was like a party, a like celebration when the first entry past Anthony Davis worked in that game, I think in like the second or third quarter after OG had been just completely punking AD down in that deep position all night long. And I love that they keep using OG against these star bigs with Yak of Moore as a roamer, right? You could throw Yak on Jared Vanderbilt, who's not a very good three-point shooter. He was 2 of 4 in this game, so good for him. He's been very good for the Lakers. But overall, you take the percentages there, and you have him to clean up those backline messes. They did this against Jokic as well. We'll surely see it in, in similar fashion against Jokic tomorrow night as well. Um, OG's just really good at this. He can bang with these big guys, and it, it's bloody impressive. And then you take the offensive side of it too, and this is just the idealized version of OG Ananobi that we saw on Friday night. His shot profile, six catch-and-shoot opportunities, six shots inside 10 feet, just two pull-up attempts. That's a perfect balance for OG. You know, the odd little dashes and sprinkles of him trying to create his own looks, that's fine. Everyone's got to get their own. Everyone's got to try their hand at that sometimes. But for the most part, OG is a devastating, opportunistic scorer who scores off of the space that others create for him, and he's so good at exploiting it. We see it, obviously. He's great as a three-point shooter, rotating around the arc, finding his spots, getting into position for wide-open threes. The fact that he put up, what was it, six threes in this game, that's great. Like, six to ten threes every single night for OG. Pretty, pretty pleased. This team badly needs it. They need the accuracy. They need the volume. All of that. Then you get... Everything that comes from him playing off of everyone else, right? The baseline cuts, the um, actually mostly just baseline cuts for dunks underneath the basket. Seems like they find it every single time they run some sort of elbow action with Yaka Pirtle. It's just, oh, well, there's OG wide open under the basket for a bucket. Like, he's really good in that role. And I think, you know, obviously the big challenge this season with OG was, you know, there were five guys usually on the floor at the same time with the Raptors starters who all wanted the ball. And even when you throw Precious Achua in as well, he's a guy who likes the ball, even if he doesn't do a whole lot of good with the ball right now. Uh, but he's not like a pass-first, sort of help other guys, set other guys up, and sort of work for the betterment of the overall operation type of player just yet. And so you had this overlap, this tension of who gets the possessions, who's getting the looks, and OG was often the guy who was getting squeezed out there. And when you bring Yakup Pertle in, it all slots into place, right? There's a one less guy out there who's looking for usage, who's just there to kind of clean up and get the easy buckets that the flow of the offense presents to him. Otherwise, he's there to set up other guys. He's there to clear the way for other guys. And OG Ananobi, I think, has maybe benefited more than anybody else from Yakup Pertle's arrival. Um, you know, I think you could argue that Fred Van Vliet has also very much benefited from him. Um, I think it's been a kind of a challenge, obviously, for Pascal Siakam, even Scotty Barnes, despite his game Friday. But OG... He's got a guy who, you know, as a pick-and-roll tandem, Fred Van Vliet and Yaka Pertle open up a ton for OG when it comes to three-point shots. 
just the role gravity that Jakob Pertl has, that benefits OG big time. And then the passing that Jakob Pertl, like the connection those two seem to have is massive. Then on defense, like again, you can change up the assignments. You have, you know, OG maybe being a little bit more emboldened to kind of do his menacing go for steals thing. Five steals in this game, incredible. Um, and having Jakob Pertl as like insurance behind him makes that more viable. It gives him more reason to be emboldened to be an aggressive defender. And when OG is aggressive, when you combine his discipline as a defender, the way his hands work, just how great he can be when being aggressive, the hit rate he has when he makes maybe maybe you know gambling moves that for other guys would be pretty risky propositions. For him, it's not really because he's just so bloody effective at converting when he goes for a steal when he tries to be aggressive when he tries to blow up a play that having that back line behind him to allow him to be more aggressive just makes him that much more it's like an amplifier on his defense it's incredible he's so so good right now and you know that this is you know because of the way Yakupertal has helped OG that I think the conversation about his future with the team certainly has to change right at the deadline because of those tensions that were there, because it just felt like maybe he was overqualified for the role he was being asked to play on this team and his own sort of desires for more and the financial implications of paying him in a year and a half, whatever he's going to want when he hits the, when he gets to free agency, when he presumably opts out after next season, like all of this, that was when it went into the sort of conversation going into the deadline where I thought, Hey, Maybe you move OG here. It's a proactive move. You can kind of reassemble your your treasure chest around the other guys you have. But the way OG's played of late, the way he fits with Jakob Pertl, the way um, the sort of hierarchy of the team has been reestablished with him having a bit more of a prominent role in it, I think that very much changes the conversation. And, you know, as much as we're going to be talking about guys who are going to get jettisoned off at the end of this season because of how things have gone poorly, and I'm sure we'll get to those conversations... I think OG's actually played himself into being a more likely returnee for the Raptors than I thought he would have been at the deadline. Look, there's still a chance that they go and get like an absolute King's ransom for him. He closes the season playing like this, and it's like every team in the league is lining up to throw four first-round picks to the Raptors for him. At the same time, maybe the Raptors just look around and say, you know what, this guy's really important to us, and he's helped us put together this starting lineup, which, you know, all the other issues with the team aside— Starting lineup has been excellent, and you know it continues to build the sample of proof that it's excellent. They've done it against good teams. They've done it against bad teams. They've done it against okay teams. It's a good-ass lineup, and OG, I think, really is, is one of the straws that stirs that drink along with Yak, of course. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's, it gets a lot harder to argue, yeah, OG should be moved when you see him play the way he has of late. The offense obviously coming around the last couple here, but the defense has just been just devastatingly good but right back to where it was in the first couple weeks of the season where the early defensive player of the year buzz was right there except now again he has like a back line of defense behind him to help him do it they lose this game an absolute tragedy that they lose this game just you know considering the quality of og's performance but uh still lots to like and lots to be excited about with og for sure and we will Leave the OG talk there for now. We'll come back on the other side. We will dig into the good, the bad, and the whom. We'll talk about Scotty Barnes' incredible game, his career high. We'll talk about the bench, maybe kind of losing it a little bit. And we'll talk about Gary Trent Jr., whose uh, off-season plans, off-season outlook, looking pretty interesting right now. We'll get to all that in just one second. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. We're making the best-tasting protein bars in the world. And the Built Bar March Madness bracket is here 
We know that you got a favorite bar or puff or whatever, and now is your time to make a count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know I'll be voting for Peanut Butter Brownie. It's my absolute favorite. But, of course, there are plenty of worthy contenders in the field, plenty of upset, Cinderella potential. It's all right there. And when you vote for your favorite bar or puff, you'll be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky Locked On listeners will get a free box of Built Bars. Not only that, but uh, one Locked On fan will win a 12-month subscription to Built to have the best Built Bars or Puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. That is a lovely, lovely offer. You got to go and try Built. Built is the best protein bar ever. Seriously, so, so good. And what makes them good is that they taste great while also being pretty good for you. They got high protein, low in sugar, covered in 100% real chocolate. They feel indulgent when they're not indulgent at all. They're just a good way to power you through your day. Run right now to BuiltMarchMadness.com to go and vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop on in and support your pick and get yourself into those lovely draws for the 12-month subscription to Built and the free box as well. Go check them out. Built Bar. Built BuiltMarchMadness.com. All right, we continue on here, rounding up the show with your final flagship segment, the segment everybody can't get enough of. The good, the bad, and the hmm, the way we round out every single episode of Locked on Raptors after a Raptors game. Start with the good, Scotty Barnes. Holy God, what an incredible performance from him against the Lakers. 32-9-7 on 13 of 16, and he did it by crushing it from the areas that we talked all about last week as being the areas that are going to determine whether Scotty Barnes can fulfill his potential or not. Yes, the three-point shooting is massive, and he's got to have that as like a swing skill in mind, the thing that he's going to work on this offseason. It's crucial, especially if the Raptors are going to keep together the core of this team, the main five guys in that starting lineup, which I think there's plenty of argument that all the questions that have been asked of the Raptors, all the questions that they need to answer feel like those five guys, if you want to roll with those five guys, there's reason to do it. Obviously, there's reason to not do it as well, which we'll examine surely in the coming months. But those five guys are crushing it right now. And those five guys are brought to a whole new plane if Scotty Barnes can be this guy more often next season than he has been this year. And look, this was an outstanding Scotty Barnes game. And again, the two-point range has been a huge struggle for him this season. He's down in every single Area of the floor, his, his field goal percentage is down from restricted area, short mid-range, long mid-range. The only area in which he's improved his shooting at all this season is from three-point range. Uh, barely, like barely at all. <laughs> so not even improved. The game against the Lakers, he goes six of seven at the rim, six of eight from the short mid-range. Like that right there, those are the spots he's got to live. And if he can live there and... We know he can get to those spots whenever he wants. He's like, it's impossible to keep out of those spots, but those long, powerful strides, the way he kind of bounces defenders off of him, he's going to be able to get to those spots throughout his career, especially as he gets stronger. He's only 21. Like, there's still, I think, strength to be added here for Scotty Barnes. He's so physically imposing that those areas of the floor are going to be his playground. He's got to have the touch from those areas of the floor for it to really matter. And we saw what it looks like when he does have touch from those areas of the floor. He was one of four from three in this game. So he goes 12 of 15 from two-point range. That's massive. And look, the Raptors right now, they're going to have to win the two-point battle by a lot basically every night because they don't win the three-point battle even when they have good three-point shooting nights. You know, they were 10 of 28, 36%. Not bad against the Lakers, but the Lakers go 13 of 30 and 43%. Like they're always punching up in the three-point category. The area where they can really exploit and be the best is in two-point. 
in the two point in the two point range, right? They, they crash the offensive glass to get a ton of putbacks, and Siakam, Pirtle, and Barnes all have track records of being outstanding in that short mid range restricted area part of the floor. It's not been the case since Jakob Pertl arrived. I think the spacing's a little bit weird, and they're trying to figure out and adjust to the new clutter that kind of exists in the close ranges here. But those three guys all have the track record of scoring very efficiently, or in the case of Scotty Barnes, has not maybe not the track record, but has shown many, many flashes over two seasons now where that's going to be a place that he can really thrive. And if you can own that two-point battleground, you might stand a chance. But you have to own it real hard Scotty Barnes owned it real hard against the Lakers. That was awesome to see. Um, Obviously, you don't get the Pascal game you want. Uh, Even Yak kind of had a bit of a tough finishing game for his standards, 8 of 17 in this game. But for Scotty Barnes to have that game, really encouraging. And it's the reason that, like, I can't bring myself to worry about Scotty Barnes in the grand scheme. Like, he's got to make this more of a regular thing for sure. But I think the flashes are always so tantalizing and good that I think he stands a very good chance of making this a more regular occurrence. And in turn, that's why I kind of believe in the upward mobility of this team still. I know, I'm insane. They keep on losing games. They keep on disappointing. But if Scotty Barnes is a better, more heightened version of himself with the players they already have in that starting five, that starting five is going to be a bear of a lineup for a long time if they want to keep it together. It's just like... Scotty Barnes, man, he, he he's so essential to the sort of upward mobility here. And I guess your mileage on this team probably depends on what you think about Scotty Barnes. But if you think Scotty Barnes is going to be awesome, then I think there's a real argument to keeping this thing together and letting it all grow with Scotty Barnes as he grows into his awesome self that eventually is going to come. Uh, really, really great game from him. Really fun to see. Hopefully there's more of that to come in the final 14 games. The bad. Um, it's that Barnes, Barton, Trent, Precious, Boucher lineup. Uh, minus five and four minutes of action in this game. Got crushed in that fourth quarter. The Raptors were plus 17 with their starters on the floor in this game. Again, plus 27. Sorry, plus 17 over 27 minutes. Minus 27 in all the other 21 minutes. All of which included Gary Trent Jr., by the way. Uh, And look, I like that Nick Nurse has given this lineup some run, like the first extended look we've really seen for any second unit. I'm just wondering if maybe it's not quite the right unit because when there's one loose wheel, two loose wheels, it gets pretty grim and pretty tough to win minutes. There were like four loose wheels in the game on Friday, so it just had no chance. Um, and I do wonder if maybe as much as I like the idea of running Scotty with the bench and getting Scotty reps as an on-ball guy, he, A, he's not doing it enough. He doesn't have the ball in his hands enough. It's too much Gary Trent Jr. in these lineups. Even Will Barton's kind of taking the reins a little too often. Like it should be Scotty centric. I just wonder if there are maybe two starter lineups you can roll with. The starters have been killer. Play them a little bit more often with the bench guys. It seems to kind of stand to reason as much as I've, again, liked that Nick Nurse has given this bench look some run and it's had some success, it's still a wild positive in its, you know, very meager sample size, but it's been a positive for sure. Just, I think you saw against the Lakers, like if there's one guy not pulling the the right direction, things can really fall apart for that group. And there's just maybe not enough scoring punch there in general if Will Barton is, you know, maybe not the scorer he used to be, which he's certainly not. And Precious is not doing his thing. Even Chris Boucher, really quiet game. For a guy who's like made his career on beating the Lakers in LA and performing huge there, uh, really, really tough game for him as well. And I just wonder, like, are there... 
players you can partner with Scotty Barnes. Because I like Scotty Barnes being the sort of go-to guy with the bench looks. I like the way Fred and Yak work in the starting five. I like the way Fred and Pascal play off of one another. That's all good. I like those pairings. But how do you pair Scotty Barnes with other starters to really make it sing for the second unit? I think OG is a real kind of easy answer. Uh, If you can kind of have him playing off the wing, that shooting you get there, the sort of secondary creation you get with OG off of Barnes, can that survive some second line, second unit minutes for you? Probably, depending on the players you pair with them. Maybe Precious Achua gets squeezed from the rotation here for the rest of the season or, or you know, sees his minutes go down. It would be warranted, honestly, based on the offense he's, he's kind of brought. Um, I also think there's maybe something with the Barnes-Yak pairing. They've had good chemistry, obviously. The spacing is tricky, but if you run Barnes as your point guard and you run pick and roll with him and Yak, you get both of those guys kind of going downhill towards the basket, Barnes is a great close quarters passer. You have the threat of Barnes's floater. You have the threat, uh, the, the threat of Jakob's floater or his finishing around the rim. And then if you can dot some shooting around them, whether it's, you know, you, you put Trent, Barton, Boucher as the three guys in between them to connect them, maybe that's a way to do it. Maybe you sprinkle an OG in place of a Barton in some of those lineups as well. Um, you know, Boucher being one of like the saviors of the shooting on this team is wild, but he's been pretty good of late. And so maybe you keep rolling with that. I, I just there's got to be different ways to work in a second starter with Scotty Barnes and those bench looks because he just doesn't have enough help right now and it's tough. But um, yeah, the bad was that lineup for sure. And my hmm going into this game or coming out of this game, what is Gary Trent Jr.'s market actually going to be this summer? You know, he's making 17, 18 million bucks right now. He's got the opt out. He's still probably going to opt out because he can probably secure this same amount of money on an annual basis for more years, which is probably worth it. But at the same time, like he's not playing very well as of right now. He's been coming off the bench. Look, he's had a great season overall. He's been really adaptable. He's been super malleable. He's been super bought in. He's responded well to criticism, all of that. There's been a lot to like about Gary Trent Jr.'s season, but just in terms of market factors, there's going to be a team out there that's going to go crazy to sign Gary Trent Jr. in the offseason, a guy who doesn't play very much defense, a guy who is inherently streaky, I don't know if there's a team out there, even the cap space teams, like who are all bad, by the way, and aren't really in the interest of, like, aren't really interested in signing good players right now because they're trying to be bad. And why would Gary Tread Jr. want to go to some bad team? I guess maybe he can go get up some numbers or whatever. But um, I like, I don't see like a huge market building for Gary Trent Jr. So I do wonder, like, do the Raptors let him walk for nothing at the end of the year and, and just say, hey, you know, it didn't quite work here, but we don't want to really reinvest in Gary Trent Jr. for the long haul? And if there's not a sign-and-trade partner, do you just kind of say, you know what, this is bad asset management, but maybe we just kind of wash our hands here? I don't know if I'd like that, honestly. If you can get Gary Trent Jr. back at his current number, I think he can certainly give you that value over the course of a full season. And also, like, the thing here, too, is, like, if Jakob Pertl, the sort of scuttlebutt has been he's going to get somewhere between, like, 16 and $20 million a year, I don't really know Gary Trent Jr.'s negotiating position is very good. If Yak is getting that, which is kind of in the range Gary Trent Jr. makes right now, and, like, is he going to opt out and then be like, well, yeah, give me what Yak's getting. Like, well, Yak's a better player. Yak's a more impactful player. It's obvious. He came here. He's been, like, one of the best players on the team since he arrived. And you have not, as much as Gary's been helpful and has his moments and wins them games when he's having a heater off the bench. Like, there's no doubting the value of that. And maybe this is just a matter of the Raptors trying to insulate themselves a little bit more against having to have Gary Trent Jr. be on all the time, make him more of a luxury than a necessity. But if you're 
looking at like well like i think right now the whole like he's getting 80 million bucks or more over the course of four years that feels out to me honestly like it, it just i don't see the market transpiring where that's going to be what he de- like his market commands and maybe he uh, just opts in again and, and says hey let's try to rebuild the value i'll be a full-time six man of the year maybe i win six man of the year next season and opt out after the year everything points towards him opting out anyway just the the financially beneficial thing for him to do um but it's it's an interesting i think it's a question now i think it's something to watch for sure if the performances for gary Trent jr continue to be very up and down and uneven or more down than up then i do wonder if the offseason gets a little different for him and if that takes away one of the big sort of concerns for the raptors which is how do we re-sign all these guys at bigger numbers than they're making right now maybe you're not signing gary Trent jr to a bigger number maybe he's opting in or maybe you're giving him like a two plus one for you know around what he's making right now, and you kick that decision making down the road, both for him and for you. It's interesting. That is my hmm. That is also how I'll round out the show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, and boy, oh boy, it'd be really nice if they could just get their stuff sorted out here uh, down the last stretch of the season. They're back home. That's good. They play the Nuggets tomorrow. They got the Thunder later this week. Some wins will be. Truly lovely, especially as like the the Pacers and Wizards keep on creeping up. And for those who want the Raptors in the lottery anyway, maybe you'll get your wish. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they can thread the needle here enough where their starters are so good that they make themselves undeniably guys for the future on this team. The rest of the team, maybe they try to sort out. They fall into the lottery. They get some luck. They go and get the third overall pick or whatever. They add it to this mix. Maybe that's the best of both worlds. Maybe that's what happens and everyone's very happy here. The Raptors get some good fortune in the lottery, having fallen out in place of the Pacers or the Wizards or both or the Bulls or whoever. I don't think that's going to happen. I still think on talent, they're better than all of these teams. Uh, Just like on paper, they make a lot more sense than a lot of these teams on paper, have a lot more juice, but we'll see, man. They're only one game up on the Wizards and the Pacers, so... (laughs) They're certainly closer to falling out than they are to even moving up to 8th right now, which is a pretty grim spot to be, but we'll see. We'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to tee up Raptors Nuggets. We'll probably take some mailbag questions on tomorrow's show as well. If you have a question, please drop it in the comments below. That would be lovely, and we will round it out there. Please go make your second listen of the day, Locked on Leafs, as our dear pals Mike and Dave are covering a very good Toronto Maple Leafs team over there that is on the way to the playoffs, not in risk of falling out at all. Unlike your Toronto Raptors, go check out Locked on Leafs, and we will talk to you again on Tuesday another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye-bye.